everyone. Welcome to Hair of the Werewolf. I'm Lily, and I have with me Chase. What's up? And we are a horror paranormal podcast that love telling each other scary stories to try to scare each other, but mostly try to scare you. I don't know if we've ever succeeded, but here we are, still trying. Today's a little bit special because Ooh. I am actually drinking today. I don't get to drink much because I had... Like, hardly? Yeah, it's been weird ever since I had my surgery, which is unfortunate. I miss it so much. But So I'm drinking Pyramid Rock Amber from Lacumbre, which is one of my favorite beers made in the United States. So. Yep, yep. And I'm having Sullivan's, which is a Irish ale. So I, not from the United States? Not, <laughs> I don't know. No, it says Ireland. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was joking. Okay. I was joking. I'm like, I don't know. There's like but the reason Irish we, beer made here. But the reason we have that is last Friday was St. Patty's Day or St. Patrick's Day, however you want to call it. I hope all of you had a good time because when you are a drinker, the only days you want St. Patty's to be on is either Friday or Saturday. So we lucked out this year. It was on a Friday and it seems like a lot of people celebrated Friday and or Saturday, maybe both. When St. Patty's falls on any other day, it means usually people will just celebrate it on a different day, making it like the only holiday people are willing to celebrate on a different day. Like if Christmas was on Tuesday, we're celebrating Christmas on Tuesday. Oh, yeah. If Halloween is on Wednesday, kids are going out trick-or-treating Wednesday, but the party will probably be the weekend before. Oh, yes. St. Patty's is one of those things that, apart from wearing green, if it's not on a weekend, everyone just celebrates it on the weekend. <laughs> so it's kind of one of those unique things. I mean, it's a day devoted to drinking, amazing food, and being social. Oh, and and wearing my favorite color. So that's a good thing, too. Bright green. Yeah, and sadly, the last few years have been hard on St. Patty's Day celebrations. As we all know, the pandemic started in 2020. And, you know, the national emergency declared and everyone doing the stay-at-home orders pretty much meant that St. Patty's in 2020 was canceled. And in 2021, it was also totally canceled. 2022, we kind of saw a little bit of a emergence. People started talking about doing things, but we totally stayed at home because we were still yeah. nervous about it and everything. So this is like the first year where it seemed like people were actually doing stuff. Bars, restaurants, everything were actually saying, hey, we're having a party or we're doing events or we're doing things. I know. And I feel kind of funny because like I think at the beginning of the day, I was like, I don't know if we want to go out. Like, I'm just kind of like lying there. <laughs> and I was like, and finally we can go out. And I'm like, well, I'm already in my PJs. <laughs> well, yeah, we were totally thinking about it. But at the same time, we've been very much hole up recently. Yeah. Uh, and we were getting antsy because like a lot of our friends have been unfortunately sick. So we haven't been very social. And then we just decided at the last minute, we're like, we're going out. So you and me, we went down to a brewery and we met. Uh, our friends George and Sony there, and we had some beers there, and then we went to downtown to see a themed punk show yeah. at, at the Launchpad Theater, which was a lot of fun, and we just kept running into people we knew, and there were a lot of people out. It was a busy night. I, I don't know it if was it was necessarily St. Patty's themed, but there were a bunch of people out. I just drinking. think people were going out because it was Friday. I yeah. agree. So it was fun. It still doesn't feel like the St. Patty's of old, but it was fun, and it was pretty chill, and then we were able to come home, and I had crock pot with corned beef in it and we ate and it was it was it was amazing it felt better it's still not classic st patty's but we're on our way i should also say on the saturday afterwards we had to nurse our hangovers with a little <laughs> bit of fear so we watched four horror movies oh, in yeah. a little marathon every movie was one we hadn't seen before and we just kind of came across them while we were just like browsing Scrolling. through. You know how it is when you're on the streaming service. You don't know what you want to watch. You just keep hitting right or left until something looks good. You read the description, realize it's not good. Keep going. Well, we apparently decided to go ahead and watch four movies that we found. And they were The Gallows, Censor, In the Mouth of Madness, and Banshee Chapter. 
And Woof. they were all really weird movies. <laughs> we're not going to discuss them or anything like that because three of them were awful. Yeah. I think just saying the title alone was enough information. <laughs> I will say that In the Mouth of Madness, which is the only one I had heard of before, was the only one I didn't hate. It had cool ideas, good acting, and creepy visuals, but it was hampered by a crappy script, bad pacing. It was just a little bit weird. Yeah. But I have to say that The Gallows is one of the worst horror movies <laughs> I have ever seen in my life. I mean, oh my God, it's really bad. If you take only one thing away from today's episode, hopefully it's entertainment. But if you take away two things, it should be that you never need to watch this movie. It's terrible. So it's a found footage movie, and the reason I hated it is the guy behind the camera was the most annoying thing I've ever seen in and a movie. And that's saying or her. something because usually people behind the cameras can be pretty annoying. You know, they're always Absolutely. like. You know, intervening in people's privacy, they're being intrusive, blah, blah, blah. Um, no, this guy found a way to be just the absolute worst. So anyway. But yeah. So don't, don't watch, watch <laughs> any of those movies, but especially not that one. With any luck, our stories today are hopefully going to be way more interesting and good and entertaining than those movies were. Yes. And before I get into my story, I do need to update everyone on something from last week's episode. For those of you who listened to it, Chase and I debated on whether or not people would knowingly mm-hmm. use a defective portable heater that could potentially catch on fire, leading to a horrible, horrible death. I said that there you said, are people who would, and you said no. One I said would. hell no. You know, we were debating about it, but I said I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go ahead and ask all my friends or like people that I meet and just see what the consensus mm-hmm. is. I didn't even get a chance to really ask anyone because a friend of ours just voluntarily provided. An answer that had like shut the, the whole system. Yeah, because they had listened to the episode. And they were like, yeah, I would use, I would probably use a defective heater, but I wouldn't want anyone I love to use one. <laughs> I'll and die. I, and I was like, <laughs> but as long as they don't die. <laughs> right. And that's actually, in my mind, how I pictured a lot of people would do it. I had a very frugal dad who's like, if it turns on, use it. Sure. <laughs> like, I can see that. But I don't know. Like, so I guess I guess I'm kind of wrong, but not really, because <laughs> But not really. <laughs> in the same vein, I forbid all my friends from using defective heaters, so now no one can use them. So here we are. Um, but your enemies are allowed. But yeah, the few and far between can absolutely who are not listening, so they don't even know yeah, enemies this warning. Um <laughs> so they can go ahead and, and use it. That's fine. So that was the update. I guess there are people out there who are willing to sacrifice their life. <laughs> For a, for a little bit of heat. Okay, anyway. So my story for today is The Squonk. The Squonk? Yes, that is the name. Is that like a squirrel orc or something? <laughs> oh my God, it could be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this... Don't go into the woods, there's squonks out there's tonight. squonks. So the scientific name is Lacrima Corpus Dissolvens. And when I say scientific, I mean within the realm of the cryptid kingdom. This little creature came into my life after our friend Andrew, over from Dead Letter Movie Podcast, sent me a link, and I just took it as a sign. This is a topic suggestion. I'm going to do it. The squonk is a mythical creature that lives in the hemlock forest of northern Pennsylvania. I looked up the area, and it looked obviously beautiful. It's Pennsylvania. And so, at the very least, these little guys get to live in a cool place because the rest of the information... I'm going to provide is basically downhill from here. So in my 
like everyone just imagine me doing Joey's voice from Friends. Mm-hmm. How little are we talking here? <laughs> <laughs> How little are these women? Um, so they're not, they're little as in like maybe a medium sized dog, maybe bigger. So it like just bigger depends. than a Chihuahua. Like but a smaller lot bigger. than like a golden retriever. They're, Somewhere in there. They're like probably shorter than an average human. Wait, wait. So they're bigger than a golden retriever. They can be, I think. Damn. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the first account of the creature came from the book written in 1910 called Fearsome Creatures of the Lumberwoods, written by William Thomas Cox. It's basically a fantasy field guide. And this book also never mentioned that the squonk lived in Pennsylvania. But it wasn't until another book that was written in 1939 called Fearsome Critters that described the squonk's migration habits from the desert to the swamps and then finally settling into Pennsylvania. So it's very exclusive. It only lives in Pennsylvania. Only in Pennsylvania. Only Pennsylvania, man. It's got some state pride or something. (laughs) Yeah, it found its home. From the first book, Fearsome Creature of the Lumberwoods, this is how the creature is described. It is probably the homeliest animal in the world. Oh, so it's ugly. And it knows it. Aww. <laughs> it's so sad. It's like a pug. It's like a... <laughs> I don't think a pug knows it's ugly, though. It's just happy to be there. It's having trouble breathing, though, because it's ugly. So it knows <laughs> it has issues, but not ugly. The distribution was once fairly wide, the usual habitat being high plains where desert vegetation was abundant. Mm. History shows beyond dispute as these areas gradually changed to swampy, lake-dotted country, and Squonk was forced to take to the water. So they were like, we just got to adapt. Of distinctly low mentality, however, it traveled constantly around the unaccustomed marshes in search for fodder. So fodder is just food. Mm -hmm. It means like hay or dry feed. Sure. With time, it developed webbing between its toes, but only on the submerged left foot. Since on entering the water, it could swim only in circles and never get back to shore. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Fossil uh, fossil bones dredged from the lake bottoms, revealing that thousands perished of starvation in this manner. So there's evidence of them not getting swimming. Sure, sure. Today, the squonk is exclusively in the hemlock forest of Pennsylvania. So that's where we get that. It's very bashful, mostly active in the moonlight. Garbed in a loose, warty, singularly ill-fitted skin. Mm. The squonk is always unhappy, even morbid. He is constantly weeping over his really upsetting appearance. <laughs> <laughs> and can sometimes be tracked by his tear-strained trails. <laughs> oh my god, you can find him by following his tears because he's so ugly? Yeah, they're probably just like dotted along the ground and, you know, it's just another tracking way of doing things. Oh, my God. So it's like a really moody teenager. It's like a moody pig. Yeah. Which means I feel like if there isn't a high school mascot in Pennsylvania not called the Scranton Squonks, we're the missing Scranton out on an Squ- opportunity. <laughs> oh, my God. I wonder if there the is. Squonks. I, that never popped up, but I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, man. The cheerleaders could do this like dance where they only use like one leg and go in circles and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. We're just going to have to come up a dance ourselves and then we're gonna call it the squonk everyone got to do the squonk man the scarn and the squonk put do your both left of them. hand in just kidding, and wave it to the right okay uh <laughs> moonlight nights are best for squonk hunts because as the animal prefers to lie quiet in its hemlock home and this is because it's so scared to venture out and accidentally catch a glimpse of itself in some moonlit pool <laughs> 
So it's like really avoiding mirrors here. It sounds like me. I hate mirrors. <laughs> I avoid them. Babe, am I a squonk? <laughs> We're starting to feel like a squonk here at Hair of the Werewolf. <laughs> Sometimes you can hear one weeping softly to himself. The sound is so low note and pleading, somewhat resembling the call of a cross-feathered snee. So, um, I don't is know. Is that if, another creature I don't know it about? It totally is. It's just another mythical creature. So, okay. the description is like the worst. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. In the other book, Fearsome Creatures, a bit more information is provided, which goes like this. When cornered and escape it seems impossible, or when surprised and frightened, it may dissolve itself into tears. So, it'll just like melt away in its sadness. Mr. J.P. Wentling, formerly a Pennsylvanian, had a disappointing experience with the squonk near Mount Alto. He made a clever capture by mimicking the squonk and inducing it to hop into a sack and proceed to carry it home. When suddenly the burden lightened and the weeping ceased, Wentling unslung the sack and looked in. There was nothing but tears and bubbles. Bubbles? Yeah, I don't know what that was about. <laughs> I, I, I actually, as I was reading about this <laughs> freaking creature... It really reminded me of Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. And I don't know if maybe there was like some sort of inspiration from that because they're just so sad. So I can't actually, this this is one of those things. You were shocked when I told you I had never seen Dumbo. I have never seen Winnie the Pooh. <gasps> what? I know what it is. I know that it exists. And I know that there's a pantsless bear that loves honey. There's like a fluffy tiger thing. And then I think there's like an elephant <laughs> yes. donkey. That's I, Eeyore. Okay, there you go. I, I don't know anything really? about this yeah so i like i know what winnie the pooh looks like he sure lo- he looks like um yeah just like yellow bear with a red shirt but mm-hmm. i couldn't tell you anything else i don't know if there's plots i don't know if there's humans i don't know anything oh yeah so the human is i think his name is christopher robin okay and it's a little kid and it's his imagination of all his stuffed animals coming to life i think i'm not as familiar with winnie the pooh i just remember seeing some I mean, Cartoon if we're it? being honest, as a, you know, as an almost 40-year-old adult, <laughs> do you think there's anything in there for me? Or do you think it's very much something that is for kids? And if I don't have the nostalgia, I probably won't appreciate it. I don't know. I think there were some pretty funny little jokes. Okay. And they tend to be pretty, like, at the expense of each character, which are really funny. They're not childish. Like, it's not like Dora the Explorer where you're like, wow, they're really trying to teach me left and right up and down in the colors. Sure. Like these are just life little lessons and okay. and storytelling. It's a very cute book or okay. like, you know, because they were books first. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, no, they're pretty fun. But yeah, so like I said, Eeyore was just like a one of many sad characters I'm sure are in like every cartoon. But this is very much a North American folktale. The history and lore followed the logging camps from the, from the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of brings to light why this cryptid existed and why it kind of stayed in Pennsylvania. An interesting fact, uh, the appearance and lore of the squonk has truly remained consistent. So if you guys have listened to past episodes where I cover a cryptid, you'll have me basically struggling every single time finding a singular origin or even a consistent description that people seem to agree on. But this one is very much who it is. Almost too easy, I would say, (laughs) because as it turns out, (laughs) there was a new interpretation of the animal that surfaced sometime in 2015. Squonk, the next generation. The next generation that stated um, the squonk is actually a type of pig. Mm. One like squeal. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's what they meant. Um, One that is covered in warts 
has cauliflower ears covered in wax and hair. It has yellow tusks and watery eyes. So that's why everyone thinks it's always crying. Or maybe it is. Maybe it does think it's ugly. If I looked like that, I'd be crying. Yeah, exactly. Aside from suicide as a defense mechanism. Wait, wait, what? Remember? Because if they get captured, they just dissolve in tears and bubbles. I didn't interpret that as suicide. I thought it was like something just disappearing because it's like magical. I didn't know it was killing itself by turning into bubbles. Oh, that's just how I interpret it. I don't know if that's what's happening. Okay, because that got morbid fast. (laughs) Sorry about that. I thought it was escaping somehow. I mean, it doesn't. No, that's not like a poof of smoke. It's like, goodbye. (laughs) It's like, like, okay, well, I'm captured. Might as well just be bubbles. I think it like dies oh, when you capture it. That's so it does die. I don't know if it's like, oh, time to die or like there's some sort of fear meter and then it just can't handle it and it like explodes. I'm not sure. So it's a really bad monster. It's not a good one. No. <laughs> <laughs> Pennsylvania must be so proud. Is it so proud? The high school's like, wait, we don't have a mascot. <laughs> we have an ugly suicidal thing. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. But anyway, so suicide mechanism or not. It's believed that the squonk can project its misery, making it contagious. So that's also another defense mechanism. So if you're like, oh, I'm going to catch this squonk, and then you're like, oh, man, but I don't know. I hate myself, and, like, I should just go home. That's the squonk. That's how he feels every day. It's like the eternal Debbie Downer. Yeah. It's- <laughs> to bring everyone down. Debbie Downer squonk. <laughs> oh, my God. Sad Sally. Okay. Its mating habits are through binary fission, so there is no actual mating because it's asexual. Yeah, who would have sex with it? I mean, not, it doesn't even want to have sex with itself. It just has to, like, <laughs> parts of it have to fall off. This, re- <laughs> this reproduction, a reproduction method exists in single-celled and multicellular organisms. In single-celled, like tapeworms, it's best, it's more known, I should say, as strobulation, which is when a fragment of their segmented body containing their DNA, actually falls off of them, and then it replicates itself. So Throws into a little clone. Into another, exactly. So there's not a lot of genetic difference in these kind of creatures. Wherein multicellular organisms go through a process called fragmentation. Mm-hmm. This occurs with starfish and sponges, and we all know that if you ever watch Spongebob. That's kind of a funny joke. It always pops up every once in a while. Fun fact, fragmentation can also refer to more complex organisms like reptiles where they can lose a limb and then regenerate a new one, just like the lizard in Spider-Man, mm. although not completely creating a new life. So it's a little different still. Anyway, the entire spiel was leading to me understanding whether or not the squonk is considered like another earth animal because like it has to adhere to some like basic laws of biology sure. if you're just going to be from earth. But otherwise, you're just like some crazy mythical creature. But I don't, I wasn't sure. So my personal conclusion is that the squonk would be cataloged under a creature from Earth and not an ethereal creature that's stuck in through a vortex. <laughs> and um, which I think, think the lore. think it's super rare. I think, I think they're just super rare if you believe in them. So you're saying it's something like. It's, it's in the same vein as something like a Yeti, where yeah. it's something that, you know, we don't have evidence that they actually exist, but the stories describe a terrifying, but very earthbound in its right. rules. As, aside from like maybe the Chupacabra, because like even the Chupacabra has like a little bit of a a possible alien source mm. a lot of times. Like I've heard people say that. But um, I, I have to say, I don't know any earthbound creatures, to, to coin the term that you used, that turn into bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> 
What are you talking about, slugs? I think what we, well, yeah, but that's if you add salt to them. Yeah, but you have to add fear to the squonk for it to, like, (laughs) cry itself to death. Okay. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. Maybe his bag had a lot of salt in it. Ooh, maybe. Maybe it was, like, really allergic to whatever the sack was made out of. Or when the squonk cries, (laughs) tears are salty, and he melted himself. Oh, no. They're constantly dying. Because he was trapped with his tears. No wonder. That's why they have to run away. They have to get away from their tears. You know what's really funny about this entire story already? The entirety of it? No, but more importantly, who is trying to catch this creature? We've already discussed, like, people have constantly tried to hunt it down, and you're like, but why? It's so ugly. It what needs are you gonna a makeover. Eat it? it needs a... <laughs> this is just another clueless episode. Yeah, we gotta bring in Cher and Dee and just have them... Uh, Work their magic. Yeah, turn it from... Oh, I can't remember her name. It's not Hillary Duff. Who was it? Brittany Murphy? Brittany Murphy. Oh, yeah. Gotta turn her into old Brittany Murphy to new Brittany Murphy. Mm-hmm. It'll work. Yeah, I'm really sure she's, like, happy about that comparison. Oh. Uh, so, anyway. Yeah, I-, I thought the story was pretty fun. Hopefully, it was at least entertaining. It is short. And I hope that everyone is happy, at the very least, that they are not themselves a squonk, despite possibly feeling like one sometimes. But, yeah, that's my story. Well, I think what I'm taking away from this is I think going forward, whenever we're feeling ugly, like when we wake up in the morning and we're still looking beastly, <laughs> we need to just refer to it as we're squonking it. We're just squonking a bit, okay? <laughs> it's okay. We can all feel like a squonk sometimes, but just don't disappear on us. When I'm wearing my favorite Sega shirt that has the largest hole on it is not actually for my limbs or my <laughs> head or anything. It's just on the side. That's my squonking shirt. That's your squonk, squonk shirt. <laughs> we all have our squonk PJs. We all have our squonk, like old ugly sweatpants that we don't know why from like five years ago there's still nail polish on yeah. the side of the leg which and if you're not sure if you have any squonking clothes it's will you be willing for friends to see you in it not family not not kids or <laughs> or spouses i mean friends if if you won't let a friend see you in it that's your squonking that's, garb that's your squonk that's <laughs> your squonk i think what we learned today basically is that we're all a little bit of a squonk. <laughs> Inside, we're a little squonky. We're just a little squonky, and that's okay. All right, well, I love it. I need to see artist rendition pictures of it. I'm sure if we find a good one, we'll put it on our Instagram oh, post yeah. for the episode, but I'm really curious, so I like that. <laughs> good, I'm glad. All right, so mine is like a legend. It's not a cryptid, but it has a cryptid in it, but we need to take a quick break, get some more beer, and when we come back, I have a story that is one of the most exciting ones that I've done in recent memory, so I'm really excited Ooh. about it. I'm excited. All right, so we'll see you guys after the break. Okay, so we're back. Uh, Chase and I just had a little drink, and <laughs> I heard correctly. You said you are going to do a cryptid, which I think is really weird because no, no, usually no, it's a it's a legend, and there's a cryptid in it. Oh, okay, a two for one. I like and it. And the one that you just did, like he has like one web foot and goes in a circle. This one is one footed. No. <laughs> and limps or hops. And hops around. Yeah, but it's the story isn't about the cryptid. Is it of a low? I, I actually think I'll go into the cryptid on a future episode in depth if there is more to it, but that, it was such a small part of the story. So Okay, okay. This story comes straight from Lily's horror-themed page day calendar, <laughs> or shall I say last year's page day calendar, because you're, you're done with it. Yeah. Whenever Lily started reading one that was related to things I cover on this podcast, such as islands, New Mexican lore, UFOs, tropical stuff, she just hands it to me without finishing reading. because She's like, this is for you. Yeah. Mostly I can tell by the title, honestly. Yeah. And this one, you you could have. Yeah. Usually this means she's only read the title like like that, but 
just to make sure she isn't familiar, I set them aside and wait for a while <laughs> so that she's forgotten all about it. I figure, you know, that'll work. So the one I'm using today is from March 9th of last year, and I figure a year is more than enough time to forget. More than enough. So when I started researching, I figured it was going to be a tiny little legend. But what I found turned out to be, at least according to multiple sources, one of the most prominent pieces of Chilean folklore. <gasps> Ooh. So prepare yourself for some island tear as we discuss one of the coolest legends I have ever heard of, and one that is more than a little appropriate for our podcast. We discuss lots of ghosts here on Hair of the Werewolf, and some of them haunt people, and some of them are stuck in a specific area due to a trauma, and some of them even like to slap people. Yes. <laughs> but how many of them like to party the night away? Whoa, what? Every night. <laughs> For eternity. Okay, a little exhausting. Right? <laughs> well, I'm here to tell you about some ghosts that do. Today, I'm going to tell you about the Calayuche, a Chilean ghost ship said to be commanded by warlocks, crewed by cursed souls, and with passengers who party the night away. Mm -hmm. The phantom vessel is said to sail around the island of Chiloé, which is in the Chiloé Archipelago, a collection of islands located off the southwest coast of Chile. Now, I'm just going to verify. Mm. I'm going to point to the word and make sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. Let me see. Yeah, uh, so it's Chiloé. Chiloé. If, okay. if the accent is where you're saying yep. it is. Yeah. Yep. So I am trying to get better with Spanish. So all you native Spanish speakers, please forgive my terrible pronunciation. On Lily's behalf, the Spanish speaker. On behalf of all Spanish speakers, we forgive you. <laughs> With some suggesting that Calayuche legend having originated as early as the year 1600, it's no surprise that it has amassed many names such as the Ship of Fire, the Enchanted Ship, the Warlock's Ship, and the Marino, just to name a few. There's more names than that, but you know, <laughs> nice. I'm not going to do this all day. According to the History Channel website, the name Calayuche is a, quote, portmanteau of the Mapuche word Caluton which means to transform or change, and the suffix che, meaning people, end quote. However, oh. this fact is actually debated, and we will talk more about that later when I discuss the lore's origins. But the reason I mention it is that whenever we talk about prolific legends, it's important to note that details vary and change widely. There isn't one definitive version of this story, and people have their own variations of it. So if you're familiar with this and what I'm talking about is a little bit different, that's not because I don't... I didn't research it. It's I'm trying to collect all these things together. And you can only honestly pick one path. That's Absolutely. what I do. I well, I actually know. showed. I'm actually going to discuss lots of paths, but yeah, uh, there, there's going to be infinite more that I can't do. The kind that maybe somebody heard from their family members, things like that. Okay, cool. Most stories about the Calioche describe it as looking like a Spanish galleon. It is said to have bright white glow to it, with lights shining through every window and across the deck. It is said to have three masts with five blood-red sails. It is also said to move at impossibly fast speeds. Mm. Not just for an old galleon, but even for modern ships. Oh, that's cool. Although a few claim to have seen it during the day, most iterations of the story say the Calayuche only sails at night. More specifically, it is usually only seen when there is a thick mist or fog in the air. I love it. Many iterations of the legend, and I prefer these myself, say that the ship emits the fog. Suggesting that anytime you see fog in this region, there is a chance it is being made specifically by the Calioche sailing through. Which makes sense considering it is a phantom ship and sightings of the ship have been made both from the land as well as out on the water. That said, I should mention that using the word sightings isn't always accurate because not everyone who claims to have been in its presence have actually seen it. 
The island of Chiloé can often be engulfed in fog and mist. People have described hearing ghostly music and ethereal celebrations coming from the mist. Normally, the sound of people celebrating wouldn't be a bad sound at all. But if you are in the middle of the water at night, surrounded by fog, and all of a sudden you hear an otherworldly version of music and partying approach, some have claimed that the ghost ship will often pass through other boats in the same way a ghost might pass through a wall. <gasps> oh! The noise you hear increases as the ship approaches from a distance, and soon the sounds of an undead party engulf your ship, surrounding you as the ship passes through yours. And after a moment, the sounds begin to fade as the ship continues on. So do you sometimes, this is one of the instances where you wouldn't be seeing the ship, but you know it's there completely. You, everything's foggy and misty, and you hear it, and it's like it's going through you, but you can't see it. Ooh, nice. Right? I like that. So who is on the Caliuche ship? Well, this is where most of the variations of the story differ. One of the more prominent versions of the legend is that the ship was created by El Mila Lobo, one of the sea gods of Chiloé folklore. Pincoya and Pincoy are two of Mila Lobo's children and were tasked with finding the bodies of sailors who had died at sea. Hmm. Whenever they found a dead sailor, they would bring them to the Caliuche, where, depending on version, would either be resurrected or would live as ghosts. Once there, the undead would crew the ship while partying endlessly. It also states only crew can board the ship, which is why it becomes intangible when it's near other vessels. This version suggests that it is sort of an afterlife for those that died at sea, and in that respect is not particularly malevolent. However, other versions tend to be far more nefarious. <laughs> Another prominent version suggests that the Caliuche is commanded by Brujo Chilote, an infamous witch from Chilean folklore. In this iteration, the ship works similar to a siren in that it attempts to entice living sailors. They would be lured by the sounds of music and partying, and once captured, the sailors are transformed into El Inbunche. These are the cryptids. The oh. El Inbunche, which are hideous creatures with guttural voices and one leg fused to their back. Ooh. Now, I had trouble understanding what this meant, so I looked into it. Some sources said that one of the legs was fused to their back, while others said that it was permanently folded behind their back. Artist renderings I found look similar to, like, contortionists, who will bend yeah. their legs behind their back and, like, right near their head or something like that. Either way, it meant that they had only use of one of their legs. That sucks. Forcing them to hop around the deck, which it has been argued was a means to prevent them from escaping. Oh, I see. Okay, because they wouldn't be able to swim. Not well, anyway. <laughs> no, not, not well at all. In this new horrific state, they are forced to man the ship. This version is the only one that terrifies most sailors who fear being abducted and forced to crew a ship for all of eternity. Hell yeah. It has been suggested that people can evade capture by hiding behind either Wineberry or Olvilo trees. I don't I don't know either of those trees, huh, but the, yeah. apparently they're in the area and people will hide behind them. Nice. So these cryptids, the I only found one artist rendering that was in color and they're red. They kind of just look like red angry people with ugly faces. Okay, so, so like do they look kind of like devilish? I mean, whenever uh, I red see a red skin's going to make something look devilish, but they don't have like horns or, and I didn't see like sharp teeth. So there's no like actual um like morphing into another creature. You just look like a person in your red skin. It's hard to say cuz when I say artist rendering, it just means an artist out there decided to draw a picture of what they thought I mean, not that's fair. that it was based on. Yeah. It was a cool looking picture though. I mean, no disrespect to any of the artists. I always love when someone takes a crack at trying to draw something <laughs> crazy cuz especially something like so so many interpretations. Exactly. Yeah. 
Now, there is one last major version of this story I want to discuss. This version suggests that the ship is commanded by multiple warlocks. Variants of this version suggest that the boat was still one created by El Milalobo, as we discussed earlier, and other variants suggest that although commanded by warlocks, the crew is either drowned sailors or El Inbunche, so it kind of has a lot of the different stuff we've talked about. Mm -hmm. The warlocks are said to travel to and from the ship via the Caballo Marino Chilote, or Magical Seahorse. The ship is said to go on a voyage every three months in an effort to enhance the powers of the warlocks as well as get cargo for the island's collective society of brujas and brujos. Nice. Did I say those right? Which oh, no, that's an, perfect. Yeah, okay. which is and warlocks, basically, yeah. This cyclical voyage pattern explains why the ship is not always seen, how you could go long periods of time and not see it. Probably matches mist and fog patterns, but I'm just saying, <laughs> and this one, the idea is that only happens at certain amounts of time. You could go out on a foggy night and you won't see it because it's, fine, it's yeah. not time for their voyage. Furthermore, this version of the story also suggests that the warlocks occasionally interact with regular people. These warlocks would make deals with people, often merchants, traders, and people of influence, government officials and such, in exchange for prosperity, riches, and other coveted things. Mm. In exchange for them, the mortals would allow the warlocks to use their homes for either evil rituals, dark practices, or as an area to unload their ill-gotten cargo. They could be identified by anchors, which would be left behind in the front of these people's properties. Oh, so they just like straight up. Like a calling card or something. Yeah. So perhaps this was a signal to the warlocks that there was a home free for them to use, or perhaps it was by locals as a sort of threat or insult. So the idea might be that if an anchor was put in front of someone's house, that some people would interpret it as that was a warlocks thing, but some people might do it because they hate their neighbor and they put it there to like... To like antagonize it or kind of... Or uh, make the whole community hate them or something like that. You know how petty people can be. (laughs) This version of the story is said to somehow show up in modern conversation Although I can't verify this without talking to, you know, someone who's from Chile or locals myself. Like, mm. I just read that this is talked about in in modern context. I can't verify that. So if any of you are from Chile and can either confirm or deny this, that'd be awesome. What I read is that people who come across wealth or power rather suddenly in Chile can be said to have made a deal with the Caliuche. In 1960, the great Chilean earthquake struck. The damage was staggering. Many people died. Buildings were leveled and everything. But as we have seen with any natural disasters, sometimes houses can escape unscathed. Like we see that when tornadoes hit. We see it in tornadoes more often, All of a sudden there's houses that are missing or anything. Well, apparently it was not uncommon for people to say that the owners of these untouched homes had made a deal with the Caliocha. Oh, God. It was almost like a way for them to like channel their anger and, and envy of their their fortune for not having I can kind of see it's like it's kind of the opposite instead of being like oh you guys are chosen and you're god, blessed or something uh, like yeah that. god helped you it's like no it's because god loves us but you are just made a deal with the devil which is the pessimist worst. versus optimist a little bit and for yeah. some reason this strikes me as the way you would say it. it's like yeah. oh, i made the deal with the devil whereas <laughs> i've been like they're so lucky you're like devil dealers <laughs> <laughs> one of the more difficult things to research about this legend has to do with its origins. As with many legends and folklores, no one is exactly sure where the story started. One con belief is that its origin can be tied to the legend of the Flying Dutchman. I'm not going to elaborate on that one because I actually have very strong intentions of covering that soon. Mm. I I already wanted to do it. And then when we started tying to it, I'm like, okay, I got to do it because that's one of the coolest stories. I 
I love pirates. If you haven't noticed it, <laughs> I love pirates. This is a really cool thing to me. I'm excited. Yeah. So I'll get to the flying Dutchman later, but anyway. I mean the flying Dutchman, I'm not trying to bring the, cause I literally was thinking of the flying Dutchman while you were talking about mm-hmm. this, especially when you brought up the fog and it followed him. Oh, with yep, the yep, ship. Yep, yep. I'm like, that's 100% the flying Dutchman. And why am I so knowledgeable is because of SpongeBob. I mean, that's basically the only reason. So that's, that's, it might even mean that my next episode should be the flying Dutchman so that it's like so related. Cause then people have heard this episode. It's not going to be like weeks later. So maybe I'll do that next episode. And we have to do our uh, research thoroughly and I will show you some of the episodes that he is featured in. So, so that means it might be a story that you know enough about. So it won't be all surprisey, but that means there are going to be better conversations. So but it'll good. be fun. It'll be fun. But other real-life ships that disappeared have been suggested to be the possible influences of this as well. Namely, the Spanish Estrejo. Maybe it's Estrejo. De Magal... Okay, you know what? I'm going to let you do it. Estrecho de Magallanes. Okay, so I'm just going to say you said it, and we're good with that. (laughs) And we're just going to do that, yeah. And the Dutch ship, the Calanche. See how similar that one sounds? Oh, yes. So that one, when I read it, I was like, okay, I'm going to give some credit here, because I know we took a lot of anthropology and linguistics classes and we know how language changes and if it sounds really close it either means it has nothing to do with it it's a coincidence or it really does so this could go either way here language is weird (laughs) either way there is some evidence to suggest that a proto version of the legend was introduced around the year 1600 when Balthazar de Cordes under Jacob Mahu or maybe Jacob Mahu I'm not sure first captured the island that they're talking about okay The historian in me is also intrigued by the very realistic explanation that the story originated as a way to scare people from reporting sightings, boats transporting various contraband. Like, there's just a lot of illegal stuff going on. okay. So, this theory ties in with the version of the story where the ship is captained by warlocks and capturing sailors who are out there and everything. Mm -hmm. Human history is full of lore used to influence people, either to make them do something or keep them from doing something. And in this case, ignore, avoid, or not talk about ships you see in the night. Yeah, this keep your is, mouth shut, man. If I'm just being practical, this one makes the most sense mm-hmm. because if people are going to be scared, just go for it. Yes, yeah. I'm not going to just try to ignore the fact that the first thing that came into my mind when you said that was the... The first Sean Connery, James Bond movie that you made me watch. Oh, yeah. So I, I, we saw it in theaters. We saw yeah. Dr. No for the anniversary of no, the original, the, the first James Bond Is movie. Is it the first ever? First and ever. also It was the first one ever. Oh, okay. Well, then there you Not go. Not the first book. It was the first movie. Okay, okay. The first well, book was Casino Royale, which was like the 21st Bond movie. But yeah. yeah um, anyway. I mean, I wasn't trying to get into that information. Anyway, but, anyway. <laughs> but no, it's like, so when I saw that and- it, yeah, there wasn't an island also where they had like this, there was like all the the locals were talking about like this dragon that lives on the shores of their own island. Like so in this, yeah, don't in this, go to the island. In this, yeah. in this specific area too. Mm-hmm. And they were like, what? And so obviously James Bond is like, you guys are crazy. Anyway, there is a fire breathing dragon, except it's not real. It's metal, and that, it's a tank with a flame. But they actually it. use it to scare the locals and Absolutely. be like out of out of their area because it's what they're doing there is illegal. And to be honest, it was a mix of both cultural insensitivity to assume that primitive people don't understand that that's a machine, which is just a product of the times of a 60s movie. But you could also imagine if someone had never seen a tank before and it's shooting fire, they'd be like, that's terrifying. But there's also like in the in the story you're telling today, though, it's assuming that these people did believe it. And yeah. there's probably a little bit of both and be like, look, there's weird stuff going on in there. Do you really want to be there anyway? You're just going to get shot. <laughs> at like the very Absolutely. least, at the very least, the lore isn't real. But you do you still want a bullet in your head? No. <laughs> yeah, so <like>. exactly. 
And, you know, anytime my stories make people think about James Bond, I call that a win. Yeah, so, so there you go. I'm into pirates. I'm also into James Bond. So <laughs> I'm into a lot of nerdy stuff. But that isn't to say that there is no truth or danger related to this awesome legend. Because chances are, if you see the real ship, the Calioche, you might not ever be able to tell the story because you're now part of its crew. Woo, party. So as far as I'm concerned... I like the idea that the ship is real, <laughs> even though it's probably not. But I yeah, like yeah, the yeah. idea of it. It's a cool. It's a cool legend. As a quick aside, I was definitely biased towards this story from the beginning. Chile has long held a high place in my list of places I want to see. Mm-hmm. Unquestionably, the most intriguing South American country, and I mean that outside of just being one of the teams I root for in the World Cup. So, to me, researching this story was sort of like researching a future vacation spot. <laughs> So I really want to visit Chile, but I now very specifically want to visit the region of this island, either go to the island or at least go to the shore, preferably at night, and hopefully when the weather predicts fog. This sounds amazing to me. I think that sounds really fun. So you think we'd do that? We could do that? Oh, we can totally do that. So apparently this like archipelago has a lot of islands. It's a very important area in not just not just, and i don't mean like agriculturally or economically though i'm sure it is in apparently from i just touched the surface of chilean folklore mm-hmm. this is a big area and i now think chilean folklore might be something i'm gonna dabble in several times as we go forward on this podcast because there's some really cool stuff so there i'll just that I've never I'll, I'll put it up. in my head chile is off limits for me if you're doing something related to chile we'll eat, tell, tell each other my story has to do with chile and if yours is too, we'll just make sure we're not doubling up. That's it. I'm, I'm willing to give you a country. It's okay. <laughs> I just really, really like the place. Well, I don't know if I like the place. It sounds cool. I'll tell you if I like it, if I ever go there and then come back. But everyone we know who's been there, like our, our friend Lauren Tyler, they've been there. They think it's awesome. So yeah, eh, they got good taste. So I think it'll do, I think it'll do us well to go there. Oh, and one last fun fact before I wrap up this story <laughs> that I found on Wikipedia related to this. Charon, which is the moon of former planet Pluto, the massive moon that's almost the size of Pluto. Yeah, Charon. <laughs> There's an area on it named Calauche Chasma, which Aww. is the deepest canyon on that moon and is specifically named after the legend of the Calauche. Oh, that's so cool. It's so cool. I'd now, like to believe that it's like a Chilean scientist and he's like, yeah, this this right? part, this moon. We got this. Representing... Yeah. A legend. Now, going to that moon is not high on my vacation spots, <laughs> only because it's cold. If uh, I ever feel like a squonk and I want to turn into tears, just catapult me into that moon. <laughs> It'll be way more fun than turning into bubbles. Send all the squonks to Charon. <laughs> yeah. That's, I'm that's sure some people might way. pronounce it Charon, or, but I always said Charon. Charon, um, yeah. But I always struggle when it comes to planets and when it comes to astronomy – there's a lot of things that have different origins based on different mythologies and different languages. So pronunciation can get really hard. The one that I struggled with the most is the largest non-planet in our solar system, which is Ceres, mm-hmm. C-E-R-E-S. But I, as a kid, when I read about it, I assumed it was pronounced Ceres. So I went 30 some years calling it Ceres. <laughs> I, I don't blame you. I mean, totally. And it wasn't until I saw The Expanse, one of the greatest shows in the history of television, and they were calling it Ceres, and I was like, what? And then I looked it up, and I was like, yep, nope, Chase, you're an idiot. It's Ceres, not Ceres, and I still struggle with that I one mean, to this day. I I get it. Like, you're like, man, I feel like an idiot, and I, and I do that sometimes, too, whenever I've only read a word a certain times, or, like, especially 
when it's something to do with a moon. Yeah. Because how many conversations are you going to get into? Where you can actually mention it you hear what other people or say. Or someone's going to say it to you and you're going to be like, wait, are we talking about the same moon that I am pronouncing or like whatever, saying it differently? No, that never happens. Mm-hmm. We have friends who are at our level. <laughs> Absolutely, right? I don't have a lot of scientists like right. who are studying very specific moons or like trying to, I, I don't know anyone from NASA is what I'm saying. But, but I think I feel more embarrassed about these because these are named after things. And if you look at them, you can find their pronunciation guides and everything like that exists. Mm-hmm. Something that doesn't have that has to do with yet another one of my nerdy obsessions, like comic book stuff. And there's a lot of character names and stuff in comic books where it's not going to have a pronunciation guide online and it's not based on folklore and whatnot. So you kind of come up with the name in your head, you say it in your head. And now all these movies, these Marvel movies and DC movies have come out and they have to commit to something. Like they have to say, this is what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really interesting because thankfully for the most part, I have always been validated in the way I pronounced it. Was oh, correct. really? But you know, I, there's been trepidation about people pronouncing like, Thanos. Everyone now knows Thanos because of those movies, but there were a lot of people who used to say Thanos back in the day. Sure. That one makes sense to me. But the big one to me, you know, not to get on a super side, is Marvel's first superhero ever was Namor the Submariner, who is in the most recent Black Panther movie, apparently. I haven't seen it yet. But I always called him the Submariner. But then I saw a movie, the original Captain America movie, which came out in 1990, that was like straight to video, terrible movie. <laughs> oh, the good. kids called him the Submariner. Oh. And I was like, oh no, have I been pronouncing it wrong? Because that makes sense. Because like Submarine, but I thought Submariner sounded cool and I didn't know what to do. And then I saw an interview with Stan Lee and he called it Submariner and he was around at the and time. And he's was basically like, like his god. So he's like, yeah. I named him. So yeah. whatever. So I was I was validated. Actually, this character was created before Stan Lee started writing for oh, Marvel. Whatever still. Yeah. But, but anyway, <laughs> it's, it's just one of those things. Yeah. That was a weird, stupid aside going on that. But that is my story. The Caleuche. And I can't think of anything cooler than a ghost ship with either undead sailors on it or demons that are kidnapped sailors (laughs) being commanded by either a god or warlocks, and it sneaks through the night, creating mist and fog. It just sounds awesome. It's just a really cool story. Yeah. I mean, there's worse ways to go, I think. But that (laughs) partying every night doesn't seem as bad. Although eternity, maybe. Still scary, but kind of fun. (laughs) <laughs> but I think that wraps up our stories, which is good because we're almost done with our drinks. Yes, so. we are. So I think that brings us to a close. Thank you guys for joining us once again at the Hair of the Werewolf. If you have any comments or questions, please drop us a line at hotwpodcast at gmail.com. To any new listeners, we hope you enjoyed it. And make sure to catch our next episode or deep dive into any of our other 90 plus episodes. For our longtime listeners at work or driving, have a safe day. And for those of you that are drinking, we hope your tomorrow isn't too rough. But if it is, don't worry. Because the best cure for a hangover is fear. Bye.